Thank you, brother. Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. I have been told that I use food as a lot of illustrations. My answer back was food doesn't get offended if you say something about it. But we're going to talk about food tonight and what the Bible has to say about it. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's kingdom living or it's, it's how once you're converted, these are the things we ought to build into our life. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, all those types of things. Uh, expands the law uh, from uh, just actually physically committing adultery with a woman. If a man looks upon her and lust in his heart, then he's committed adultery already. And that's in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, that statement, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. That kind of perks you up a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, but what it means is it's got to be more than skin deep. The Pharisees had the outside in good shape, but the inside was rotten and corrupt. In chapter 6, uh, notice what he says in verse number 4. That thine alms may be in secret... And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Verse 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you that they have the reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And I'm, I'm convinced that when we pray that the devil cannot hear. He's not allowed to listen. It says right here going into your closet. Well, we uh, colonial homes were built with prayer closets. I haven't seen a house with a prayer closet in it in my lifetime. You've seen one? Pam, when they built their new house. Praise the Lord. Great. Uh, I think if I built a new one, I would build me a, a, a prayer closet, a place where I could go. But, but wherever you go to pray, whether it's in the laundry room or in part of the dining room or part of the living room or part of your bedroom, that's your prayer closet. That's where you meet God. That's hallowed ground between you and the Lord. And when you enter into your prayer closet, then God hears in secret and rewards you openly. Verse 9 through uh, 15 are what we would call the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. We use that terminology, the model prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. And so it goes down through all of that. Now, get down to verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast. So I told you we was going to talk about food, didn't I? Now, we talked about doing our alms in secret. We talked about praying in secret. How, what kind of prayer uh, we ought to pray and forgiveness that goes along with those things. And then right at the tail end of that, when you fast. Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. 
When I was in Bible college, we'd take a speech class. I may not ever act like I've had speech, but I have. And in that speech class, they warned us of the holy tone. And what they meant by that was people who sound different in the pulpit than they do when they're talking. They have some affectation of their voice, some inflection that they change, and, and they try to sound religious or holy. Uh, but doing that, I don't know that I've actually ever heard anybody do that. Um, I do remember a very large guy got up at Tabernacle to preach, and he opened his Bible, and he said this, Turn in your Bibles! And I lost it. He sounded so squeaky and feminine. He looked like he played linebacker for Green Bay, but he just had a really high-pitched voice. Man, that's why God's cursed me with this hillbilly voice I got. But we want to make sure that we're not trying to draw attention to the fact that we're fasting. If you do, you, you just blown the whole thing. You just might as well go and eat your greasy cheeseburger and be done. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in what? Secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, my Father sees in my alms deeds in secret. My Father hears in secret when I pray. And my Father sees as I'm fasting uh, in secret. And that's not something that you would publicize or tell anybody. Usually when we hear the word fast in a spiritual context... Our mind goes to Moses, fasting for 40 days, you know, Mount Sinai, or our Lord fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. i got to be honest with you. I don't think any one of us would survive 40 days without eating. We might, but you'd have to have an awful lot of water. <laughs> you'd have to have something. You, you can't go 40 days without water, 40 days without food. So these are unusual settings, so... When we think about fasting, if we're not careful, our mind goes to something, we can't do that. That's beyond us. That's out of my, out of my realm. I can't do that. Some of y'all may be diabetic. And if you're diabetic, you have to be very careful about how you eat. And so the idea of giving up a whole day's food might throw your sugar into whack or even giving up a single meal. So we'll, we'll talk about some of those things a little bit further on, but... I don't think I'd survive 40 days. Uh, I did a 72-hour fast one time. Uh, I heard Lester Roloff talk about it. You drink, you squeeze your own lemons. He said, if you're in a pinch, you can use lemon concentrate and water and honey. And he said, that's all you do when you, when you get a little craving, you drink a glass of that. And uh, I got... Got up pretty good over two days, and Ouija got really worried because I said, I can feel every joint in my body, and I could. It was weird. Like, right now, you put your hands out. I don't feel my wrist or my joints in my thumb, but I could feel every joint in my body. And she said, you're fixing to eat something. So I ate something. Uh, the difficulty and confusion about fasting shouldn't keep us from exercising ourselves unto it. Fasting is a New Testament doctrine and probably one of the least preached on doctrines, I guess, in all the New Testament. 
let me give you some general thoughts about food. Prior to the flood, everybody was a vegetarian. All of the animals, uh, Adam and Mrs. Uh, Adam, were vegetarians. And right on down through the time they get to Noah, uh, they, everybody was a vegetarian. They were not eating meat uh, up until that time. Now, uh, Genesis 1.29, if you want to look that up, hold your place here, we'll come back, but we'll take a quick look, Genesis 1.29. We'll get to those first few pages in your Bible. It's hard to keep it open, isn't it? This one's pretty limber, and it still wants to close. Verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. So he said in verse 30, To every beast of the earth, every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So vegetarianism was the early plan that God had for the world. Well, after the fall and the flood, uh, man became a meat eater. Look in Genesis chapter number 9. If there's anything good about the fall, it's got to be that we can eat meat. Genesis chapter number 9 and verse 3. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And they were supposed to pour the blood out. It appears also at this time that animals became meat eaters as well uh, after the, the flood. Food management. Food management. Look at the book of 1 Timothy for just a minute. Up until the time of uh, at least the fall, and, and probably well beyond that, God just fed man. Now, after the fall and, and Cain killed Abel, you remember he said, when you, when you toil in the, in the ground in the sweat of your face and all that, he told Adam, he would, it would bring forth thorns and thistles, and he told Cain that he would have a difficult time as well. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6 but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. So food management. And uh, as a first world country, we can grow far more food than we need. And we throw away, they say, about a third of everything we buy. And you go, you know, you go to the restaurant, and uh, if you go overseas to a restaurant, how many of y'all eaten overseas besides me? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You don't get big, massive portions like you do here. I remember ordering a steak with mushrooms, and they brought it to me. It was in Budapest. Man, it was a big old pile of mushrooms, and there was a steak in there about that big around, you know. Wasn't much bigger than a hamburger. But they don't, they don't do large portions like we do here in America. We're very extravagant with our food, uh, but we are able to do so because we can produce so much. Uh, this situation over in the Ukraine is, is hindering the entire world with uh, wheat and different things because a lot of wheat comes out from over there. But food management. 
Uh, it's a big deal nowadays. Farmers, if a man knows how to farm and is diligent, he can make himself rich. He can do very well with it. Uh, they're subsidizing the prices of, of different types of commodities that are grown. And so a man can do very well. And it's a, by the way, farming is the world's oldest religion. Or excuse me, oldest occupation. Use the right word. Uh, you know, you read the news and they talk about the world's oldest occupation and they're talking about prostitution. Uh, but it's not. The world's oldest occupation is farming. And that's pretty easily seen in Scripture. So general thoughts about food. Prior to the flood, everybody was a vegetarian. After the flood, man became a meat eater. And then managing this food became an important thing uh, because sin has been introduced. Remember in the book of Genesis, had seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. So food management became a very big, big, big deal. Food can be an idol. In a way, food is simple. We should eat to live. We should not live to eat. And some folk do. Um, I like food. Um, with all this junk I've had going on, I don't, by the evening time, I don't have much appetite. I have to make myself eat. And uh, that's not like me. I, I, I enjoy the fellowship around the table and I enjoy the, the, the food that we eat around the table. It's, it's, it's just an enjoyable thing to me. But our bodies are not 100% obedient to us. You ever had that problem with your body? Uh, you were full, but your mind said, that sure is good, take another one. Get a bigger piece of pie. Eat an extra cookie or two. You know, and, and what happens, when you get full... And you've eaten until you feel full. 20 minutes from then, you're going to feel awful. So if we eat till we know we've had enough, if you can, and Mom always taught me this, said, just wait a few minutes, you'll be all right. Well, I didn't want to wait a few minutes. I could eat right then, I wanted to eat. Uh, but our bodies are not always obedient to us, and sometimes our body causes us to do things we shouldn't do. We often eat when we're not hungry. Uh, some people eat out of nervous energy, just nervous. When I was in college, and I'd, I'd go to work in the morning, about left about 7 or a little after, worked all day at the telephone company, come home, try to get a shower, get cleaned up, head back, go to school, come home about 9.30, quarter to 10. And sometimes I had homework to do, and so I had to stay up all night. And back in those days, I could do that. But the way I stayed awake was I'd get a two-liter Dr. Pepper or something and a bag of chips and a bag of cookies and I'm pouring ice in the glass and drinking and sipping and munching and reading and writing. All of my papers probably had Dr. Pepper stains on them. I don't know. But in so doing, I gained 40 pounds while I was in Bible college. Uh, if I could lose that 40, I'd be about right now. <laughs> But food could be an idol, and we often eat when we are not hungry. We just eat because we can, we eat because we want to, or we eat because we think it's a, uh, something special about it. Some people get really wrought up about fine foods. Now, I don't want to eat tough steaks, but uh, I don't eat, what is that stuff uh, that they make out of livers, patty foie gras, whatever that stuff is, you know, I don't eat that, and I don't eat 
caviar. I'm not eating escargot. If you want snails, you help yourself. You can have my share. There's just some things I'm not going to eat. But some people make that to be a real big deal and uh, eating these fine foods. And in the Bible, a glutton would be someone who would eat till they couldn't eat anymore. Then they would go stick their finger down their throat so they could regurgitate and come back and eat some more. And so it was an awful way to, to do, but they did that as they were, that was their idea of partying, I guess. We eat sometimes to find peace, mood food, comfort food. I'm allowed to get a book thrown at me in a minute. Chocolate's a mood food. They, they tell me it is anyway. I don't know. I like a little chocolate. But we eat sometimes to find peace. We just do that. That puts our mind on something else other than what it was on. And we shift it. Abundance of food can lead to fleshly pride. I don't need God to help me. I can grow my own crop. You remember reading in the book of Luke chapter 12, when man said, I, you know, I might tear down my barns and build new ones. I say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up. And God said, Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall these things be? Uh, so abundance of food, abundance of things like that can, can be a, a, an idea of pride. That's the false idea of man that they can get by without God. You let it get dry. You let it get good and dry, and they'll start calling for people to pray. They may not be prayers themselves, but they'll start contacting the churches. I'm telling you, they do it. I've had it happen. And preacher, would you ask your church to pray? Ask the congregation to pray. We've got to have some rain. We're going to lose the beans. We're going to lose this. We're going to lose that. And I don't mind praying for those things. That doesn't bother me at all. I remember when Sonny Perdue, who was the, the governor of Georgia, they had a drought over there, and he called for a day of prayer and fasting. And, of course, the ACLU liked to went through the roof and, you know, separation. He said, I don't care what you think. We need rain. And, by the way, God answered and gave them rain and uh, got plenty of it. I remember several years ago, Arkansas got real dry, and they were talking about how many years it was going to take uh, for Arkansas to get rehydrated, get their water table back up. And then God brought the rain, and in 24 hours, they had all the water they needed. Uh, God can do what he wants to. Man is not in control. Food can become a source of joy and meaning, even for the mere physical pleasure of it. Uh, we you get some cookies. Maybe somebody cooks some homemade cookies for us or something, and we got this cake thing, you know, glass that's up on the pedestal and you can, or somebody gives us a cake or whatever and, and it's all up under that glass every time I walk by. It's like, eat me! Eat me! And I walk by it again and try to lift it up and be real quiet, you know, so it won't clang or clunk. Set it down in there. Hmm? Am I... Anybody else do that besides me? It's just, I, I know it's there, and because I know it's there, I want to eat it. Now, Ouija can, Ouija can buy something and wait three months and eat it. I'll buy something, and, and, and I start munching on it. She said, why are you doing that? I said, I bought it to eat. I didn't buy it to look at. 
Don't care I want it in the freezer two months from now. I want to eat it now. But we do need to be careful that food not become something that distracts us from the things of God. We sometimes have the idea that the enemies of God are what distract our mind from the Lord all the time. But sometimes it's just things that are straw. You know, not anything that's bad. I mean, watch a decent television show or two and doing something else, and before you know it, a couple hours have gone by, maybe three hours, and you could have spent some of that time with God, but you filled it up with straw, stuff that doesn't matter. Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibber. That's what they said about him. You know, John was a, a locust mild honey. Jesus was a, a glutton and a wine-bibber. Problem was he was sitting down with sinners and influencing them for God, and the, the uh, Jews couldn't—they just couldn't stand that. He used such occasions to win converts, and Jesus had compassion on hungry people. He fed five thousand one time with a happy meal, and four thousand with a less than a happy meal uh, another time. Missionaries who go overseas. And sometimes even here in the States when you find people who are hungry, and there are places where there's some hungry people, they don't need you to shove a Bible or a track under their nose. They need you to feed them. They need you to get them some foods, some basic type of food, soups and things that they can digest. Because if they haven't been eating real well and you give them something rich, it'll probably make them ill. And so you get them some simple foods. And once you've done that, you have manifested the love of Christ to them. Then you've got to open door to witness. And so our church has been involved in some uh, philanthropic uh, productions. We helped buy some oxen for a village in, in uh, Togo. We've helped buy wells so they could have fresh water. A number of years ago, they were doing something over in Russia, and they said, what we need is coats. We got plenty of material, Bibles, and we need some coats. These people are freezing. And so we got together and packed up stuff and bought stuff and sent money and, and helped to, to do that. Why? First uh, John says, you know, how can the love of Christ dwell if you look at your brother and say, be you one and be you filled, and, and then not give them the things that are necessary? Why should we fast? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That was spoken in a time of temptation, when the devil was tempting the Lord. Following the Lord leads us to fast. And he said, when ye fast. Not if ye fast, but when ye fast. So following the Lord's going to lead us to do that. It, it carries the drive of the flesh to control us. Now again, if you're diabetic or you have some other uh, type of condition that requires regular meals, hypoglycemia, you've got to eat every so often, maybe I think you have to eat like six or eight times a day. So there's a variety of issues. I understand and I'm not trying to make, if you have those conditions, don't feel bad. Uh, God knows. But for most of us, we go out, we have lunch, and then we fight the next hour and a half trying to stay awake. Because, you know, we got the afternoon 
you know, oh, eyes drooping and trying to stay awake. And, and so our flesh is controlling us. It's demanding some rest. It's all your blood's down in your stomach digesting your food instead of your brain where it ought to be. Just because you have an appetite doesn't mean that it must be satisfied. We must remember that we're not slaves to our appetites. If I can, listen, eating is a basic function of life. If you don't eat, you die. So if I can control that, then I can probably control the other things in my life as well. And I know some of us are a little pudgy. Uh, I gain weight easy, real easy. Ouija is siphoning her calories off into me in the middle of the night. Somehow. 35 pounds of Snickers bars in a year. 25, 30 cartons of Byers chocolate ice cream on top of that. And then the occasional extra different type of chocolate that you get just to kind of keep the other chocolate tasting good. And she doesn't gain any weight. I think about food and gain weight. But it is important for us, listen, if your eating is killing you, if your doctor's telling you that, then you need to, you need to get it under control. We're not slaves to our appetites. If I can control that, I ought to be able to control lust or envy or covetousness, all these other things. Jesus expects us to fast. And I emphasize that terminology, when ye fast. Denying our hunger for worldly things and increase our hunger for God. I, you know, you get hungry, you have maybe had two eggs and sausage and grits for breakfast and, and toast, orange juice, and you go to work and you work hard and lunchtime rolls around and your stomach's kind of grumbling and you're hungry. Um, it's a good thing sometimes that we take that time and force our bodies to submit to us. And I believe biblical fasting is, is taking the time that we would spend feeding ourselves physically to feed ourselves spiritually. Now there may be sometimes when you fast all day long where you go to like a retreat type of a setting, you know you're off away from people and all you do is read your Bible and pray all day. That's nothing wrong with that. But the average fast that you and I are going to be involved with is going to be giving up a meal here or a meal there or maybe a whole day. We, the Lord lays it on our heart that we're going to avoid uh, having physical food and whenever we're hungry, we're going to take that time and give it to God. We're going to take it and give it to the Lord to increase our spiritual well-being. Fasting, fasting. Baptists don't fast much. Unless you're talking about being fast to get in the line to get the pot roast and the, and the casserole. The things that fill up our heart and mind can replace the Lord in a very practical sense. In Matthew chapter 13, remember the seed was sown in the ground and it sprung up, but what happened? The thorns, and what did the Bible call it? The cares and the riches of this life choked the word and became unfruitful. Well, I've got five things to give you right quick. Practical things about fasting. Number one, note the proximity of prayer to what he's saying about fasting. So those two obviously go together. 
If I'm fasting, I ought to be praying. If I'm fasting, I need to be reading the Word of God. Fast with a purpose. Now, I had a friend who fasted one day a week for his health. Just for his health. And uh, he's very slim, very very good shape. Uh, I don't do that. Uh, I do fast off and on, but fast with a purpose. Use the time to feed your soul and worship God rather than feed your body. Fast secretly, not a show to impress others with your spirituality. Unless God really lays it on your heart. I don't think homecoming Sunday is a day to be fasting. You come to church and you're fasting, and you know the people, you don't get something to eat. I'm, uh, I can't eat today. People go, oh, I wonder if he's fasting. Now, it may be the Lord laid on your heart some homecoming day not to eat. I don't know. That's between you and God. But we want to fast in secret where nobody else knows. That's going to be hard to keep it from your wife because if you don't tell your wife that you're not going to eat supper and you let her cook and you come home and, and she says, I got such a tree. Well, honey, I'm fasting today. Ooh, that's not good. So you can't keep it from you, probably from your wife. But now you could keep it from your wife if you were fasting maybe for breakfast, if you go somewhere to eat breakfast or lunch. So fast secretly. Fast in humility. We need to recognize that our vileness, our vile body, demands, requires constraint and discipline. What did Paul say? I keep under my flesh. And literally what he said was, I buffet my body. Now he's not talking about punching himself and hitting himself. That's what Catholicism did with whips and various things. He's talking about, I force my body to be submissive to me instead of me being submissive to it. Then the last thought I want to leave you about fasting, practical thing, is maybe we ought to be fasting more often than we ever have. We're certainly in a mess in our country. And Jesus said some things only happen by prayer and by fasting. And maybe the Lord laid on your heart. You take some of these simple thoughts here from Matthew 6. Tie it to your prayer life. And just ask the Lord. I, I think you could volunteer to fast if you wanted to. You could just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm going to fast tomorrow for lunch. And I plan on spending that time with you. I pray that you'd bless it and then wait till tomorrow comes and see how God leads. But God can lay it on your heart. Spend a little time fasting, worshiping, praying. And I believe it'll help us. I, the times that I've, I've fasted and prayed, it's been a, been a help to me. It's easy to focus on things because you're disciplining your mind, you're disciplining your body to focus on Him. Father, we're grateful for the Word of God. I don't remember the last time I preached on fasting, Father, but it's in the Bible. And Jesus obviously expects us to do some fasting. It was grace to think about that and to put it in active in our life and see what you might do through it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.